What companies deserve your hard-earned dollar? Which would you want to work for? How can you know if they share your values? Just ask us. Just Capital is a nonprofit that tracks who really means business in supporting workers, customers, communities, the environment, and shareholders. We measure progress, track success, and help them be better. When you see the Just Capital seal, you know what's real because just business is better business. Visit justcapital.com to learn who makes your dollar count. This is Wilmington's Morning News with Nick Craig. Six minutes past, well, six o'clock. Welcome in to a Thursday edition of Wilmington's Morning News and welcome into February. February the 1st, 2024. It's great to have you alongside this morning. 910-763-4000. That is our studio hotline where you can call or text and get your comments in on our airwaves this morning. Well, it is day three of the big closure over at the Cape Fear Memorial Bridge and We've got a lot of news in regards to that. A big, contentious, lengthy Wilmington Metropolitan Planning Organization meeting last night. The room absolutely packed out at the county government center yesterday afternoon as concerned citizens and elected officials made their way over there to discuss a future path forward for a replacement project. Before we get into some of those details, we did get a brief update from Chad Kimes. He is the division engineer with the North Carolina Department of Transportation, and he touched on a couple of things, including the work that is going on this week and some of the changes that are being made and how they are handling traffic flow in that area. So what exactly is going on this week over at the Cape Fear Memorial Bridge? Here's Chad Kimes. Work going on this week. Uh, there's there's various operations going on this week. It's really prepping and getting ready for the demo that will start on Monday. Uh, keep in mind, this is a movable span bridge, what a lot of folks don't understand. For if you put 10 pounds away on this bridge, you gotta figure out how to offset it with counterweights to 10 pounds. The operational bridge works on counterweights. So there is a lot of engineering analysis that goes into the amount of weight coming in that has to be offset for this bridge to work. So they're doing a lot of uh, doing some counterweighting and some offsetting demolition of the eastbound lanes that are currently closed will begin early next week. And for that, they're getting all of their prep work ready to go, getting all of their final inspections done so that they can begin that actual process, obviously, uh, to replace that uh, the stringers and replace the bridge deck. They've got to get all of that removed. They are actively working on that throughout the end of this week and we'll begin that demolition next week now we know uh, tuesday morning was a headache on the roadways big time traffic backups and while we saw a similar situation yesterday it definitely was much quicker and the jams were not nearly as long or as bad as we saw on tuesday and chad kime says that's because that they are working around the clock with local officials across the community, uh, the various communities, as well as law enforcement and uh, timing groups that handle how long a light stays green. They're working with all of those groups to make the traffic flow as efficiently as possible. Uh, I will let you know that, you know, we were every angle uh, during this closure yesterday. Uh, just tremendous efforts. And this is where I'm going to commend New Hampshire County, Brunswick County. Uh, the various cities such as Wellington, uh, whether it's Leland, Belleville, what a massive effort and undertaking this for us. Yeah. 
And today we saw them really paying off. Yesterday we saw what the traffic was going to do. And then we reacted overnight. And then we had a much better day today. Uh, we are going to continue to make improvements as this go along. This is a work in progress. Drivers will shift and we will shift. Uh, we will monitor this and we'll continue to have the drones up there, but we'll continue to make improvements. They did show some pictures at the presentation, or Chad Kimes showed some pictures at the presentation yesterday of some uh, aerial footage. They've got drones out in that area watching the traffic, and uh, they've got a 24-hour operations center that they are working with in Raleigh. That's where the DOT's operations center is to try and get traffic flowing in those areas as efficiently and quickly as possible. Taking a look at your traffic this morning, uh, it's early still, but taking a look at uh, the traffic as it flows right now things are looking up pretty good on 74 and 421 not seeing any sort of uh, big time delays or buildups yet obviously it's going to be slow in that area you're taking four lanes of traffic and shoving it down to two so obviously you're going to see some slowdowns but no uh, major gridlock as of right now unfortunately that is uh, likely to change over the next uh, probably 30 or 40 minutes as we get closer to seven o'clock so that was some of the updates in regards to the traffic and the work that's going on. That was not the main point of the meeting yesterday. The Wilmington Urban Area Metropolitan Planning Organization, the WMPO, met to discuss a potential future for funding for the Cape Fear Memorial Bridge. And on Wednesday, the board voted to include tolling as a possible funding option. Now, let's be clear with this. And as I uh, recap my notes here from this morning, it was made evidently clear from every single person on the MPO and every person that spoke that they are not interested in a toll. So you might be asking yourself, why are we discussing tolling then? Well, for the formula that goes forward to the federal government and the state, these projects that could include the possibility of tolling score significantly higher. The resolution did pass 8-5 to five yesterday with Mike Allen, Lynn Barbie, John Ellen, Wendy Fletcher, Bill Rivenbark, Hank Miller, Mike Forte, and Landon Zimmer voting in favor, voting against the resolution. Wilmington Mayor Bill Sappho, New Hanover County Commissioner Jonathan Barfield Jr., Leland Mayor uh, Brenda Bozeman, Wilmington City Councilman Luke Waddell, and Navassa Mayor Ellis Willis all voting against however with that eight to five vote the resolution did pass the wmpo and made the february 1st deadline that dot had given them now it was a very interesting meeting yesterday i'll and i'll jump into uh, more details on this after seven o'clock this morning but uh, it was it was a pretty eye-opening experience for me to, to sit through that meeting, um, listening to about 45 minutes or so of uh, maybe closer to an hour of public information uh, or public comment, rather, from individuals hearing uh, both sides of the, I guess you'll call it, argument if that's the accurate word to use you know the scoring process that was a, a to hot topic of conversation as well um so you know 
we'll dive into more of this at 7 o'clock this morning. We'll do a full rundown of the meeting. I've got some audio from it as well. Uh, but that is uh, the decision. That was the decision from the WMPO last night. And again, the goal, the objective, as it was explained, is to get as much federal monies as possible. This bridge is going to cost somewhere in the ballpark of four to $600 million. The DOT does not have four to six, 400 to $600 million sitting in a bank account ready to go. So the, whole, the goal, the objective, the wish here is that you can get two, three, maybe even $400 million from the federal government from various transportation grants to big time offset that cost. Now, what does that process look like? Does that come to fruition? Well, I, I don't have a magic eight ball. I, I, I can't see into the future uh, exactly what that's going to look like, but that is going to be the next step as of right now. We'll have some more details on that coming up here in just a little bit. The Wilmington Fire Department and New Hanover County Fire Rescue were on scene last night at a major structural fire at 6820 Market Street. That's right near the Gordon Road area. The Wilmington Fire Department responded to the fire, then the New Hanover County Fire, WPD, Duke Energy, and the Wrightsville Beach Fire Rescue all jumped on scene. According to a spokesperson with the WFD, Officials were dispatched to the scene shortly after 5.30 yesterday, and crews battled this fire for hours, not getting it out until close to 8.45. No one was reportedly injured. Officials say the fire burned a property containing several Marine Service-related businesses, but have not confirmed what businesses have exactly been damaged. This happened in an, the area uh, on Gordon Road, uh, right next to the DMV area. There's some storage facilities back there, you know, where the big DMT, uh, DMV is there off of Station Road. Um, that is the area in which this massive blaze took place. It took crews multiple hours to get that out. Fortunately, they were able to do so, and um, they were able to get that under control. The good news is no one was reported injured in uh, that fire. Again, a structural fire yesterday on Market Street up in the uh, area near Gordon Road. Um, crews putting that out for a couple of hours last night. Taking a look at some other local news this morning. <clears throat> Excuse me. The North Carolina State Highway Patrol is getting some new additional upgrades, and this is going to be helpful for them. According to this, the North Carolina State Highway Patrol can now immediately track 911 calls with GPS and pinpoint to the nearest troopers that are in that location. That's according to a big time, or that's due to a big time technological upgrade, according to the, uh, the North Carolina State Highway Patrol and the 911 system. The new computer aided dispatch system, CAD system, lets 911 operators give details about the call for troopers to look at on their laptops in the field as it happens. And if another trooper is called for backup, they will also immediately have access to that information and location of the other trooper that is on scene. Before the upgrades, officers had to do most of that process via phone or radio. 
First Sergeant Chris Knox says that the upgrade and the replacement of that system goes back to the mid-70s. And that part, uh, that system is being uh, discontinued after the state got nearly $5.5 billion worth of ARPA funds in 2021. The General Assembly allocated funds to over 200 projects, one of them being this new tracking system. Knox said previously when you contacted 911 and they transferred your call over to us or however the call came to us, our agency was, it was not able to determine where you were, unfortunately. The state says that it expects the project to be done early next year, the full upgrade of that system, and they say it's going to improve overall public safety and trooper safety and make sure that the, the law enforcement that's responding to whatever the situation might be, that they have the best and most up-to-date information as possible. Knox says that the system will be critical and crucial to helping drivers get help in dire situations. Knox says it's going to give us a better indication of where you're at, what is taking place, and what information needs to go to that state trooper and what trooper is going to be closest and get to you in the most timely manner. So a, another good uh, technological advance, hopefully helping response, response time, and the quality of service that is able to be provided by the North Carolina State Highway Patrol. It's 619. We'll grab a, a quick time out here this morning. More Wilmington's morning news after this. You can be part of the program. As always, our studio hotline is 910-763-4000. 24 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to Wilmington's morning news. A good Thursday to you. Good uh, February 1st to you as well. Taking a look outside this morning, 35 degrees out at the airport. Temperatures will be hanging out in the low 60s today. Dry and clear across southeastern North Carolina. Not a bad way to start off a new month. Taking a look at traffic this morning, uh, things flowing relatively well still as we approach 630. Are starting to see a little bit of uh, congestion on 421 North heading towards the Isabel Holmes Bridge. Nothing uh, out of control or anything major yet just some uh, moderate traffic as folks are shifting down to two lanes to uh, take a right turn onto the Isabel Homes. That's a live look at your traffic this morning. Well, a very popular Carolina Beach bar has been sold. The Sea Witch Tiki Bar has been purchased by the owners of the Embassy Suites and Cloud Nine in downtown Wilmington. A hotel management company out of Virginia Beach has purchased that very, very popular venue down on Pleasure Island. Harmony Hospitality is now the owner of the Sea Witch Cafe and Tiki Bar, which is located at 227 Carolina Beach Avenue North. The price of the acquisition, which does not include the uh, Sea Witch Motel across the uh, street, was uh, not uh, as part was not uh, discussed and not disclosed in the documents. The Tiki Bar opened back in 1995 and was purchased by Jen and Alex Glewich in August of 2014. Jenny has managed the bar for three years before taking over the reins from Alex, who left his job in sales to help oversee it over the last decade. The uh, ownership team transformed uh, owner, transferred ownership to Harmony Hospitality back on January the 11th. The two are still consulting on operations, according to a press release. 
Jenny noted in a statement, we are excited to watch Sea Witch continue to grow. It has been an incredible adventure, and we will forever be grateful for this opportunity, and especially to all the musicians, guests, and coworkers that turned it into a family all along the way. Sea Witch, if you've never been down there to Carolina Beach, is a really, really popular venue. Um, they've got live music multiple days a week. I've been in there many a times when it is, you know, a nothing but uh, packing sardines into a can. It is a very, very busy venue. They've got a massive outdoor deck and um, bar stage area where there is big time music musical acts that play down at the stage. Harmony Hospitality President Paige Johnson and his wife took funds from the sale of property owned in Florida to invest in the sea witch and according to the company this is this is important to note according to harmony hospitality they say that there are no major changes planned for the bar or restaurant there was a lot of conversation on social media i started tracking this late last week a lot of conversation on social media that they were going to bulldoze sea witch and turn it into another massive hotel and i'm not saying that's not possible could something like that happen in the future sure But as of right now, that is not the plan. According to a spokesperson for the company, they're just looking at minor repairs and maintenance. So far as the aesthetic, they say they like it just the way that it is. They can say the same thing for the menu and staff. They said they're not expecting to make any changes there at all, essentially continuing to keep the uh, uh, restaurant bar operating exactly as it is right now. According to the president of uh, Harmony Hospitality, he says everything they've been doing seems to be working just fine. The hospitality group is also the owner of other establishments in downtown Wilmington, including the Cloud Nine Rooftop Bar, which is on top of the Embassy Suites, the Steam Restaurant, which is inside of the Embassy, and the Embassy Suite itself, which are located down there on the riverfront next to the Wilmington Chamber of Commerce and next to the Convention Center. When assessing properties to add to the Harmony portfolio, which includes eight operating hotel properties in Virginia and one in North Carolina, Johnson said that they are looking at long-term value. He said, we certainly appreciate all that Pleasure Island has to offer and recognize how important our beach communities are for the future of Wilmington and all of southeastern North Carolina. So uh, for folks that were um, a little nervous about this, uh, rightfully so, it looks like, uh, at least for the time being, uh, the Sea Witch down in Carolina Beach will continue to operate as it has for years past. I want to remind you that if you miss any of our program, Monday through Friday, 6 to 9 a.m., you can check out our Wilmington's Morning News podcast. It's available in Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere you get your shows. Search for Wilmington's Morning News, tap that subscribe or follow button, and take three hours of live local news talk and opinion on your smartphone or tablet each and every weekday. It's the Wilmington's Morning News podcast. Download and subscribe now. On the other side, 12 schools in Durham were closed yesterday as teachers and staff called in sick to attend a protest. Details coming up after this on Wilmington's Morning News. It's six. 
Get an inside look at Hollywood with Michael Rosenbaum. Let's get inside of my buddy, Kumal Nanjiani. When you talk about Eternals and it wasn't the response that you were hoping, how did that affect you? Marvel thought that we'd be going on a wave of raves, you know, and it wasn't true. The reviews were really bad. And you were aware of it while you were on tour? Yeah, I was too aware of it. And so very intentionally, I did start counseling. Emily says that I do have trauma from it. Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum. Wherever you listen. 36. Welcome back to Wilmington's Morning News. Great to have you here this morning. 910-763-4000 is our studio hotline. Unfortunately, starting to see some uh, congestion building up on 421 North and South this morning on either sides of the Isabel Holmes Bridge. If you're heading off of 7476 or 74 rather, that's running relatively clear this morning. Some backups on 421 North and South. I-140 looks up pretty good as of right now. So does Castle Hayne Road as well as North College Road if you're taking that heading down into Wilmington. Well, here's a concerning headline for you out of Durham. 12 Durham schools were closed yesterday as teachers and staff called in sick to attend a protest. Have no fear, right? It's all about education. A fifth of Durham County Public Schools were closed on Wednesday as staff and teachers furious about unresolved salary issues called in sick to attend a protest. The Durham Association of Educators, oh yeah, great, alerted uh, the school system around 8 p.m. on Tuesday night that, that they would likely have enough staff absent from 12 schools that they would likely be forced to close. That caused Durham Public Schools to send out a notification to families and confirm that those 12 schools would be closed around 9.30 p.m. Tuesday evening. You had five elementary schools, two middle schools, four high schools that were part of that closure in Durham. According to the president of the Durham Association of Educators who led a rally in the cold rain outside of the district staff, uh, bill, uh, the, uh, the district's building on Wednesday morning, she said, they don't want us to be out here today. They don't want us talking to each other, organized with each other, because they know we're more powerful than them. Thought she was supposed to be a, um, so she's running this association of educators. We're constantly hearing from educators and from staff about how important education is, yet they closed 12 schools yesterday. 12 schools worth of children didn't receive any education yesterday. I just don't know how those two things can exist in the same bubble. The educators also picketed for more than two hours outside of the district's administration building downtown. Protesters held up signs and chanted as they marched starting at 2 p.m. on a narrow stretch of Cleveland Street in downtown Durham, then circling the block when the crowd grew large enough. According to school board chair, uh, according to one of the, uh, the, the, the chair of the school board in Durham County, she said the Board of Education is absolutely committed to getting all matters with our employees resolved fairly and as soon as possible. In the meantime, we appeal to everyone in Durham Public Schools to remember our mission and our commitment to providing, providing our students with the best education possible. You know, obviously, this Durham Association of Educators isn't interested in that. 
Obviously, they're not interested in giving children a, a sound quality education. If they were, they wouldn't have closed 12 schools yesterday. Now, why is this taking place? We talked a little bit about this last week. There was some issues with overdrawn or uh, overpaid raises to members within the Durham school system. About 1,300 or so classified staff members who received a raise in October for Durham County Public Schools realized that they, well, the school budgeted incorrectly and they couldn't continue paying those higher salaries. For many of those employees who now were losing those raises, that's erasing hundreds of dollars a month from their paychecks. And while that is, of course, very frustrating, I can imagine. While that is a less than ideal situation, if we're being honest, a pretty crappy situation all in all, the school says we made a mathematical error. We had an accounting error here, and that's a problem. The board voted unanimously last week to spend $4.5 million so that employees can keep all of the money that they have been paid so far this year so they're not clawing any money back and they are extending those pay rates through the end of January. However, for now the month of February, those raises, those increases are no longer going to be valid and relevant. There's an accounting error. The school system and the district does not have the money to pay out those salaries. And again, frustrating, sure. Ridiculous, sure. Failure of government, sure. All of those things are accurate. But the school system just doesn't have the money to pay out those salaries. And unlike the Charlotte Mecklenburg school system, who we also saw overpaid their school's uh, staff, they're taking the money back. They're trying to claw it back from the employees. Durham said, no, we're going to eat this. This was our problem, but we can't continue down this path. We've got to make a change. Both of these areas, I'll note, heavily and exclusively run by Democrats. Just a little bit of a heads up there. So the teachers decided that teaching wasn't important, so they decided that they were going to protest. Ashley Smith, who teaches Spanish at Northern High School, but is also the parent of an elementary uh, elementary school student at the Wednesday morning protest, said she hopes parents understand staff skip school because they care about the children. Excuse me? Uh, maybe I misread this. Let's go through this. Let, let me read this paragraph, this uh, sentence again. Ashley Smith, who teaches Spanish at Northern High School and also the parent of an elementary school child at the Wednesday morning protest, said she hopes parents understand that staff skipped school because they care about children. Hmm. Something uh, tells me that I uh, just don't believe that. Not saying that they don't care about children. That's not the point. But I I don't believe that parents are going to go, yeah. Yeah, I understand. Totally. You care about our children, so you canceled school. Smith told the Raleigh News and Observer, this is not you versus us. This is all of us coming together and making the community stronger. We don't retain staff. We didn't, we, when we don't retain staff for a long time, the inconsistency is really confusing for our children. 
The head of the teacher association also emphasized that point in an interview saying, we all have the same interests, well-funded and fully staffed schools. Another individual who works, uh, this is a language pathologist who works at one of the schools that were closed, said that many of the educators were working parents themselves. She says, we get it. It's hard to change your schedule on a dime, but we really want to keep our classified staff in school. If they can't pay their bills, then they'll have to work somewhere else. Sure, that, that's absolutely relevant. However, walking out of class and closing down 12 schools yesterday is not going to help get classified staff any additional money. It's just not. I I mean, I I hate to be the the bearer of bad news this morning, but that is just a completely irrational, ridiculous argument. It doesn't make any sense. The school system made an accounting error. They realized that they could not pay out the salaries that they thought that they could. So instead of clawing back the money, everybody's gotten to keep their raises October, November, December, January. And now those are going back to where they were previously. They're not cutting the salaries. They're going back to where they were prior to October. Another teacher at the Lakewood Elementary School, which was closed on uh, Wednesday, said, next school year, everybody is saying that they are leaving. They're all looking for new jobs. Well, that's fine then. If every single teacher within the Durham County public school system is going to leave next year, then leave. I mean, th- these threats, I-, I, just, I just don't have any sympathy for these threats. Oh, we care so much about children. We care so much about education. We're all going to leave next year. Okay. All right. Another teacher who works at Riverside High School said it's not an easy job. He told the Raleigh News and Observer but we do it because we really do love our kids. And to, and to see their aha moments, to see the smile on their face every day, to laugh and joke around with them and have them feel like they're not an outcast. How about the educational side of it? He continued by saying, this group of people out here, these classified staff members and teachers who came out here with us as well, they understand that it takes a village to raise these kids. Ah! Little Hillary Clinton action going on here, right? Takes a village, ladies and gentlemen. It takes a a village to raise these kids. He continued by saying if that village is missing one key component, the kids are impacted. Gives you a little bit of insight. Yeah, saying the, the quiet part out loud, something you're not really supposed to do. Well, that's what this teacher said to the News and Observer yesterday. It takes a village to raise kids. Well, you're, first of all, you're not in charge of raising children. You're in charge of providing them an education. Let's be perfectly clear and honest about that. Not your goal, not your objective, not your job. Provide them a sound, quality education. Let the parents, the grandparents, the legal guardians, whoever is responsible for them, raise them, not you. There's been this big shift in the public school system over the last 20-some-odd years, maybe even a little bit longer. And you can see it very well clearly defined here by this educator. It's not about education. 
It's about indoctrination. It's about, quote-unquote, raising your kid. Something that most people are not a big fan of. 910-763-4000 is our phone number. That's where you can uh, jump in on the program this morning. We will grab a, a quick commercial break. I'll have more details on the a fifth of the Durham County Public Schools being closed yesterday. Coming up after this, you're listening to Wilmington's Morning News with Nick Craig on 107.9 and 980 The Wave. It's 652 and 35 degrees out at the airport. Welcome back to Wilmington's Morning News. 910-763-4000 is our studio hotline. Line. Taking a live look at traffic this morning as we are now at day three of closures of the eastbound lanes of the Cape Fear Memorial Bridge and things are starting to get pretty heavy on uh, 74 and 421 both north and south as of right now. I-140 Castlehane Road and North College look to be relatively clear. Uh, no major slowdowns in that area this morning as folks uh, try and make their way over from Brunswick to New Hanover County. We'll have another look at traffic coming up here in just about 10 minutes this morning. All right, so uh, back to this story out of uh, Durham yesterday. 12 Durham County public schools were closed. That's a fifth of the schools within the district due to uh, teachers and uh, classified staff walking out, claiming that um, you know they want to educate children, they love the children. One uh, educator saying, quote, they understand, meaning the parents, they understand that it takes a village to raise these kids, a la little uh, Hillary Clinton. And if that village is missing one key component, the kids are impacted. One mother whose daughter is enrolled at a pre-K center that was closed yesterday said it's painful seeing staff not getting, quote, what they deserve. She said, I just see how much they pour into my daughter. I'm watching my daughter totally grow and thrive, and I want the teachers to know how much they mean to us. Another parent uh, who stayed home with her first, uh, first grader yesterday, or on, a Tuesday, or on a Wednesday, rather, said, it just seems so awful and unfair to pay these people a certain amount of money then attempt to take it back. What's most important is that the people are paid well and treated with respect so they can show up for our kids. Yeah, I mean, again, I get all of this. But if the school district doesn't have the money, what, do you, what is the answer here? You know, I hear all of this, all of these feelings. I feel this. It's so painful. It's so unfair. I, I get it. I get all of that. But the district doesn't have the money. What is the, what's, what's the solution? I mean, over the last decade, we have seen teacher pay increases and classified staff increases in this state at a pretty good tune. You can thank, by the way, the Republicans in the North Carolina General Assembly for that. Prior to 2010, it was the Democrat governor in Bev Perdue and the Democrat-led General Assembly that, I will remind you, furloughed and cut teachers in this state because they couldn't manage their money. Just a little bit of reminder, a little bit of history for everybody this morning. The school district, our local county school district in New Hanover is going to be in the same boat later this year. They are running an 11, nearly an $11 million budget shortfall. And they are going to have to make significant cuts 
in the district. They're just going to have to. You can't be $11 million over budget and continue operating the same way that you are. It's not practical. It's not feasible. It just doesn't work. But I don't think canceling school, walking out of class, closing a fifth of the schools within the district to go stand outside the Board of Education building or the administration, administrative building is the solution to the problem. I, I just, I, personally, I just don't think that's it. And, of course, you know, the News and Observer only speaks to individuals that uh, are on the positive side of this that think that protesting and walking out of schools is, is a great idea. I'm sure there are plenty of parents that are beyond frustrated with what's going on up there. And again, you can be frustrated at both things. Is it a pretty crummy situation that the Durham County school system is in? Now they have to claw back raises? Yeah, it is. It's a pretty miserable situation, sure. So in regards to that, you're hurting the children that you're supposed to be educating when you walk out of class, when you don't provide them with a quality education wasn't their fault it's not the children that did the math miscalculated the raises no it's the school board it's the district administration take it out on them take it out on them i'm just you know we wonder why there's such a grow and such a such a growing disdain for public education from many folks this is the reason why You've got all of these activist groups that have commandeered the public commandeered the public school system. They have taken this thing over with their teachers unions, their educator associations, whatever you want to call them. They've completely taken this stuff over. And they use it as a political tool. It's never about education. It's never about children. It's always about money and themselves. That's it. Sorry, folks. Plain and simple. You don't ever hear about education. All you hear about is pay, 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 pay. Money, 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 money. Constantly. All the time. It's frustrating. So we'll see as the General Assembly uh, gavels back in Coming up here in the next uh, couple of months, I'm sure uh, the conversation about teacher pay and pay increases uh, will likely be on uh, top of their mind again. We'll see what comes of that as uh, you know, this is seemingly a growing trend now across the state of North Carolina. Well, a big decision yesterday, a very lengthy and contentious meeting of the Wilmington Urban Metropolitan Planning Organization surrounding a future funding path and platform for the Cape Fear Memorial Bridge. I was in attendance yesterday. I've got some uh, recaps of that coming up after this. We'll grab a quick commercial break. More Wilmington's Morning News right here on 107.9 and 980 The Wave. Named one of the best personal finance podcasts, The Stacking Benjamin Show with Joe and his friends makes financial literacy fun. I got an email today from the LenPenzo.com HR department. I find oh. it really interesting. I'm an employee of one at this company, so but somebody from the HR department sent me an email telling me that I had a raise. If I just opened the attachment, I could see how much my raise was. Make sure you click on the links that are in there, too. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah, I can't wait. This is I'm excited. 
Find out more by searching the Stacking Benjamins podcast wherever you listen. We don't complicate our coverage. The news you need and none of the clutter. It's meant for everyday people to understand. 107.9 and 980 The Wave. Welcome back to Wilmington's Morning News. Great to have you here this morning. 910-763-4000 is our studio hotline. That is where you can call or text and get your comments in on our airwaves this morning. Well, uh, yesterday afternoon, I made my way over to the uh, brand new, uh, beautiful county government center that sits right next to the uh, Cheetah Club there on South College Road to uh, take part in the WMPO meeting. The uh, WMPO is the acronym for the Wilmington Urban Area Metropolitan Planning Organization. Yes, it is absolutely a mouthful, that that organization. And they had a very uh, important discussion and vote yesterday in regards to the future of the Cape Fear Memorial Bridge. As uh, we're well aware, big-time traffic impacts with the bridge closure. It's going to be a rough couple of months here across the region as folks try and make their way back and forth between New Hanover and Brunswick counties. There's been a lot of talk over the last few weeks about this vote that was scheduled to take place yesterday and did, in fact, take place yesterday surrounding a potential for a toll. Now, we've got to lay out exactly what's going on here. There was a resolution in front of the WMPO board yesterday that read, for scoring purposes only, for scoring purposes only, that they would include a toll as a possible funding option for the Cape Fear Memorial Bridge. And one of the things that I learned sitting in the crowd yesterday, and I will uh, be honest with you, it was a pretty rough meeting to sit through, is the amount of misinformation. Going through my notes here this morning, there is so much misinformation in the public about this whole process. I mean, we heard, I heard, I listened to 45 minutes of people standing up and making comments that are just not based in reality. Listening to people getting up and praising individuals like Jonathan Barfield Jr., who, by the way, voted against a resolution at the New Hanover County Board of Commission meeting two weeks ago to object to toll. Praising him for the work he's doing. They'm sure they have no idea that he voted against that resolution, but he did. Him and the other Democrat on the board, Rob Zappel, both voted against the resolution brought forward by Commissioner Dane Scalise to vote against a toll. We heard that people are being bullied into making this decision. Individuals saying that the Port of Wilmington is the reason why the bridge is in the shape that it is. One individual standing up and making the point that because of all the 18-wheelers and the big tractor trailers that work their way over back and forth the Cape Fear Memorial Bridge, that's why the bridge is in the shape that it is right now. Just woeful misinformation. I think my favorite part of the meeting, I had the pleasure of sitting next to a lady who spent the entire meeting mumbling and talking to herself. It was really, really good for me to try and pay attention to what was going on. Spent the entire meeting talking about the STIP. STIP, it's the State Transportation Improvement Program. 
It's how the state scores and funds transportation projects from the coast to the mountains. I think you'll get a good laugh out of this. So the entire meeting, she's griping and moaning about the stip, holding up her sign that says the stip is broken. Sat there for two and a half hours and listened to this. Mind my own business, sit there on my laptop, got my little notebook, do, do, doing my job. So the meeting ends after, you know, the vote. And I leaned over and I said, hey, ma'am, I, I work with a uh, local, uh, local media outlet. I'm, I'm wondering if you'd be interested in, um, in, in chatting with me about the, the STIP program. And she says, well, I don't really know anything about it. And I, you don't know anything about it. I just sat next to you for two and a half hours when you complained and held up a sign that said the stip was broken. Complained about the stip, kept yelling that the, it's broken, it's broken, it's broken. I said, what do you, I said, well, what do, what do you mean you don't know? You don't know anything about it? She goes, no, not really. Somebody gave me this sign. <laughs> Somebody gave me this sign. So that was, that, that was kind of, to me, that just really kind of put a nice little bow on the top of the meeting yesterday. Just an incredible amount of misinformation. And the, you know, a couple of the other takeaways as I listen to individuals speak, nobody is in favor of a toll. I didn't hear a single person, either from the MPO, from Chad Kimes with the Department of Transportation, I heard from nobody that they are interested in a toll. Nobody is interested in a toll. And the vote yesterday was not to go for a toll or not for a toll. The resolution read just as that. If there is a period of time when a toll might be brought back in, if that's a possibility in the future, it would be this board the same board that voted last night, yesterday afternoon, that would have to make another vote. The crowd, I thought, was, the, the crowd was just ginned up and whipped up on a bunch of nonsense and misinformation. Plain and simple. It was evidently, as I sat, I was probably in like the back third of the room, surrounded by a bunch of people holding up signs that said no toll and, you know, defund the stip or whatever stupid garbage they were handed. They had no idea what they were talking about. I mean, nothing. And let me be clear with this. I'm not a subject matter expert. I'm not going to sit here and pretend to be one. I'm not in on these meetings. I'm not, uh, talk, I'm not in the closed-door conversations. I'm not a state legislator. I'm not a member of the MPO. I'm not a, a mayor or a city council member. I'm just a regular guy as well. But I've done my due diligence on this. I've heard both sides of the argument. We've talked to individuals like Wilmington City Councilman Luke Waddell. We've heard his thoughts. We've talked to individuals like State Senator Michael Lee. We've heard his thoughts. We've heard both sides of the argument on this. But the misinformation on this was astonishing to me. It was, uh, folks, incredibly eye-opening to listen to. The meeting started off with the crowd heckling the chair of the meeting. By the way, the county government center, I don't know how many tens of millions of dollars they spent on that. They're... Uh, Audiovisual infrastructure doesn't work. The Zoom meeting wasn't set up. The microphones at the brand new county government building that they spent a gazillion dollars on don't work. Could barely hear anybody throughout the meeting. You had the crowd constantly jarring and, and arguing with people. It was just, to me, it was a really kind of miserable performance from the public. 
If you're going to be so outraged over something, which it's okay to be outraged. It's okay to have an opinion. I mean, it's what I do day in and day out. If you're going to have an opinion, I would hope that you'd want to be informed on the matter. And when I asked this lady who was spending the entire meeting talking, as I'm sitting there trying to listen to what's going on, I have to listen to her gripe and complain about everything that's going on. For her to tell me I don't know anything about it was like a mind exploding. Whoa. Really? You have no idea what this program is? Somebody just handed me a sign. That's what she told me. And then went on to explain how a toll was a bad thing and how they had just voted for a toll, which, of course, they didn't. It, 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 was, it was a pretty eye-opening experience. So the WMPO is a 13-member board. It consists of individuals and officials from New Hanover, Brunswick, and Pender County. That's why it's the Wilmington Urban Area. It's the, the larger Wilmington Area group. And after about 45, 50 minutes of public comment, hearing from individuals like Chad Kimes, the division engineer for NCDOT, I thought a really poor performance from both Wilmington Mayor Bill Sappho and Jonathan Barfield Jr., who were incredibly disrespectful and I think were incredibly rude and disrespectful to Chad Kimes. I've got a clip of that coming up. After all of that, the the body voted 8-5 to in favor of of a resolution that was brought in front of them. And that resolution was to consider a toll for funding for the purpose of ranking on the State Transportation Improvement Program, the STIP, to go after federal monies for this potentially five to $600 million project, which is what the replacement of the Cape Fear Memorial Bridge could cost. And by the way, like anything else, as time goes on, as the horse gets further down the road, that project becomes more expensive. Material and labor, all of those expenses go up. It's not going to get significantly cheaper. If anything, it's going to creep up in cost, which unfortunately is pretty typical for projects like this. So we did hear yesterday a little bit of uh, back and forth from some individuals, uh, specifically from uh, Chad Kimes, about the process for a grant after he was being berated by Jonathan Barfield Jr., who, again, I will note, voted against a resolution two weeks ago to oppose a toll after back and forth and Jonathan Barfield being incredibly disrespectful to uh, Chad Kimes. This, I thought Chad did a pretty good job of explaining what's going on here. Take a listen. The DOT is making this a priority. And I cannot tell you come on, if we continue to get grants, if we continue to get grants, we go after grants, and we're going to go after four or five grants a year. And you got to remember, prioritization that we have taught is every two years. We are going through prioritization as we speak. And this is why this is important at this, at this point. Because Yes, you, like I said, you can turn it down, but we are hopeful, and we're pushing for every grant. We're pushing for every grant so this toll conversation doesn't have to come up again. If, as you continue to reduce the cost, over cost, the overall cost of this project, and you go out and get a grant, let's say you've got $450 million bridge project, you go out and get a $200 million grant, you continue to bring down the cost, you go get another $100 million grant. It starts scoring in prioritization. I can't predict how prioritization is going to work until we start receiving grants. It is the intent of, of everything I can do 
is not to go to an active toll, but it is critical to go after these grants to continue having that conversation about a potential toll. So that really doesn't answer my question, but I thank you for your answer. And of course, Jonathan Barfield being smug and rude and disrespectful as always in his uh, righteous uh, self. We'll grab a quick commercial break here. On the other side, I'll have some uh, more audio and some more thoughts on yesterday's WMPO meeting, an 8-5 to five vote to include tolling as a possible funding option for the purpose of scoring and grant-making for the Cape Fear Memorial Bridge. 910-763-4000, that's our phone number. Welcome back to Wilmington's Morning News. You can always be part of our program by texting or calling in. Our studio hotline is 910-763-4000. We are discussing a, a very... Very lengthy WMPO meeting yesterday. The uh, big agenda item was a future potential funding platform and grant application process for the Cape Fear Memorial Bridge. As it stands uh, right now, after an 8-5 to vote yesterday afternoon, the uh, bridge project, if you want to call it that, a resolution is going to NCDOT to include all possible funding options for a potential replacement. Why is that relevant? Why is that important? Well, according to officials on the WMPO board, that is important for the STIP process, the State Transportation Improvement Program, and in terms of getting federal grants that could offset anywhere between 40, 50, 60, even 80% of the cost of that bridge, depending on what federal grants are got. Now, I want to make sure I give both sides equal opportunity here. So I've got two different clips for you. One from Wilmington City Councilman Luke Waddell. The other from individual Landon Zimmer, who is a DOT appointee on the MPO board. And so you can hear both of the arguments that were made at yesterday's meeting. Let's start off with uh, Wilmington City Councilman Luke Waddell. The current plan of action uh, by way of this resolution before us is to say we support all options to include a toll for scoring purposes only. We've heard it a hundred times. And that's important to note, for scoring purposes only. That is how the resolution reads. It has been said this is just us playing the game and, and to show that we're serious uh, with, with wanting to get this bridge funded. This language will undoubtedly be used to, to play the game in hopes of getting significant federal funding with those grants. The replacement of the Cape Memorial Bridge would hopefully be scored under the SIP and, and 7.0 and would hopefully score high enough to move forward and be funded without the need for a toll. I want to be clear that I agree this outcome is attractive. And I'm certain that the folks that represent us at state level, our NCDOT representatives will fight like hell to get us there if we are to move this forward. Of that, I have no doubt. I know that everybody around this table does not want a toll. However, my job, as well as the job as every elected member around this table, is to look out for the citizens that we represent to make sure they're getting the best deal possible while we have the leverage to do so. My concern is if we were to receive less favorable federal funding than we're anticipating, maybe not score high enough with a toll uh, included in, in 7.0, and at that point, the likely scenario would be that a proposal would become before this body. Maybe it looks a little different, but it would come before this body to say that because we didn't receive as much federal funding, unfortunately still not score high enough. So uh, we would be left with a binary vote at that point um, to accept the toll to get a bridge or get nothing. 
This scenario should be unacceptable. That's Wilmington City Councilman Luke Waddell, the uh, vice chair of the MPO board, uh, making his uh, comments yesterday during the meeting. I do want to read the resolution to you that was voted on 8 to 5 yesterday. Whereas the proposed submission of the Cape Fear Memorial Bridge as a toll option would be for scoring purposes only and would not commit the project to be programmed and delivered as a toll facility. The second, whereas the future of the WMPO board would be required, the the further vote by the WMPO board would be required for replacement of the Cape Fear Memorial Bridge to be implemented as a toll facility. And further, the WMPO board can withdraw any approval of a tolling option up to until the department advertises for a contract to a construction company to replace the bridge. So you've heard there from Wilmington City Councilman Luke Waddell. Let's hear from uh, Landon Zimmer on why it's important to go through this process as uh, they did yesterday in an 8-5 to five vote. This is not a vote on a call today. This is a vote to move forward, to open ourselves up to federal funding and state funding. If we vote no today, that funding's gone. You guys paid your federal taxes, you paid your state taxes. That $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill, somebody mentioned that earlier, that's halfway gone. There's still money there, and that's what we're going to get. That's what that's what Chad's talking. That's these federal grants are for. That 1.2 trillion dollars. If we if we if we can't get that, we can always vote it. Know that. But that's that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to keep our keep our options open, keep the door open. If we vote no, we're done. There's no more funding. The, the part about this uh, the SIP list. I heard y'all have comments. There you go. SIP. Well. I know it's politically expedient. It's politically expedient to say, you know, we don't get our fair share. And the data of since the data of SIP began, the data driven process, let me go through, let me go through some facts for you. They're tough to argue. Brunswick County, 22nd in population, 10th most dollars in 100 counties. New Hanover County, 11th most dollars, 10th in population. Pender County, 27th in dollars, 45th in population. So when we say we're not getting our fair share, you guys are you're right. We're getting more than our fair share. And this is this doesn't even count the Hampstead bypass. This doesn't count all the projects that y'all know have been approved. This is looking backwards. All the dollars we've we've received thus far, we're getting more than our fair share. And going forward, we're going to continue to do even better than that. That's Landon Zimmer. He is an appointee uh, on the uh, WMPO from the North Carolina Department of Transportation. So an eight to five vote yesterday to move forward with a toll option on the bridge for scoring purposes only. That's the key word to use here. That was submitted to the North Carolina Department of Transportation. And over the uh, coming months, hopefully seeing and getting some news that the state was able to secure some big-time federal grants that can uh, offset the uh, cost of this massive bridge replacement project. Get an inside look at Hollywood with Michael Rosenbaum. Let's get inside of my buddy, Kumal Nanjiani. When you talk about Eternals and it wasn't the response that you were hoping, how did that affect you? Marvel thought that we'd be going on a wave of raves, you know, and it wasn't true. The reviews were really bad. And you were aware of it while you were on tour? Yeah, I was too aware of it. And so very intentionally, I did start counseling. Emily says that I do have trauma from it. Inside of you with Michael Rosenbaum. Wherever you listen. 
Welcome back to Wilmington's Morning News. It's great to have you alongside this morning. 910-763-4000 is our studio hotline. That is where you can call or text and get your comments in on our airwaves this morning. Well, going back to uh, 2017, of course, uh, big news across southeastern North Carolina. A uh, breaking news story from the Star News talked about contaminants in the water and uh, pollution within the water systems across all of southeastern North Carolina surrounding a chemical known as Gen X, a PFAS chemical uh, produced and uh, made up at the Camores Fayetteville worksite plant up in uh, parts of Cumberland and Bladen counties. And since then, it's obviously there's been a lot that's gone on. We've seen uh, hundreds of millions of dollars worth of investments from water utilities, including a CFPUA, H2Go, the Brunswick Public Water Utility up in Pender County as well, as uh, these utilities, uh, of course, had to scramble to uh, get clean drinking water to their customers, the residents here of southeastern North Carolina. However, with all of this, there is a little bit and still there is some misinformation surrounding water and clean drinking water across our area this morning. I'd like to welcome uh, to our airwaves the development director of the group known as Tide Turners NC, which is a, a grassroots nonprofit organization here in southeastern North Carolina. Well, Lindy Ford to our airwaves this morning. Uh, Lindy, good morning to you. Hope all is well. You've got a uh, pretty lengthy video and blog post out about water. It's uh, called the Gen X. North Carolina's solution is a global game changer. Good morning to you. Tell us a little bit about it. Hey there, Nick. Thank you so much for having me this morning. Hey, I want to just take you back. I am actually a clinical nutritionist, registered dietitian. I'm in private practice on Car Avenue. And I can tell you that I am passionate about water. I am so passionate that I ask every day, I ask my patients, you can ask them, what, how much water are you drinking? And not only do I ask them how much water are they drinking, I also ask them, where are you getting your water? And I, I will not allow them to drink tap water. And let me tell you why. You know, water not only sustains life, but it affects the quality of our life. This past year, I, I don't know why, but I've had more patients coming in with kidney issues, kidney problems. There's a lot of reasons for that. But we know that this PFAS issue um, actually, uh, with the epidemiological studies, affects the kidney, the liver, it, it, um, there are links, there are links to testicular cancer, kidney cancer, uh, liver issues, and we know that this is a bipartisan issue, Nick. Um, we care about our children. You know, we rank third in PFAS exposure in the United States here in the Cape Fear region, and so many people are affected by this. So I've been really studying this for years because um, water is such a big deal to me. But about five months ago, our team at Tide Turners, we took a really deep dive into this. And what we did is we started a timeline, and it actually started in 1947 with the 3M mass producing the PFAS, but it grew. This timeline, I mean, it literally got to almost 100 pages. And what we discovered was not really what we were hearing, and it wasn't what the media was telling us. And what we discovered is the real heroes of clean water and, and a pattern that was emerging out of the DEQ. So what I did is I also watched a lot of documentaries and some, also some, you know, we, there have been some movies made about this issue, but you know, the non-biased WRAL, you know that station? Of course, very familiar with the, yes. I call them the illustrious the, news outlet. 
did this. Uh, they they did this water do- really well done. I've well seen it. Yes, it water- is very well done. Yes, and I give credit where credit is due. If I don't care what side of the aisle, if you're doing something for my community, if you're doing something for my children, I'm going to give you credit. But there were a lot of cameos of Josh Stein and a lot of Roy Cooper on there. And I was like, what is this, a campaign ad for Josh Stein? I was like, what is this? And then I, we, because it didn't jive with what we were seeing, right? Uh, we didn't see Josh Stein doing anything. He, he filed a lawsuit, okay? He filed a lawsuit like everybody else has, right? And, and it, was, it was amusing, but it made me mad. So don't make me mad, right? So two issues came out of this, Nick, and that is ongoing going accountability and enforcement and remediation, right? So, like, in 2016, we know that Dr. Detnaf Kanapi, the scientist from NC State, you know, he is the one that blew the lid off of this with his research study in 2016. But the Department of Environmental Quality, which we call the DEQ, pretty much ignored it. They ignored it. And, and here's the thing. There's some good people at the DEQ, but the pattern of the DEQ is so disturbing. Um, so what, what we found is that in 2017, Representative Ted Davis from District 20 here, my representative, he chaired a bipartisan House Select Committee, and he found, they found, that the DEQ really couldn't handle this problem. Um, here are just a couple of reasons. They ignored the environmentalist warnings. They ignored the studies for years. It wasn't just one time. It was years upon years. They set unsafe high threshold standards. It used to be 140 parts per trillion, Nick. Now it's down to 10 parts per trillion. That's how much they allowed. I think it was, they, they really didn't, they didn't know. And I understand that they, they didn't really, it was, um, it was unknown to all of us. But the, the threshold standards were so high, they approved permits. Oh, oh, and if Camores didn't have a permit, they still allowed their operation. If they didn't have a permit, but they also approved permits that they shouldn't. In 2017, Michael Regan, who was at the, he- at the head of the DEQ, he is now the head of the EPA, he, comp- he filed complaints and motions of temporary restraining orders. That happened in 2017, in 20, uh, November 2017, February 2018, June, 20, uh, June 2018. They issued notices of violations against Camores. And I can just hear the boardroom at Camores, like laughing after each one of those. Because nothing ever happened. There was no enforcement. Well, let me, let me jump allowed. in on that. Because I think that's what has been the most frustrating thing to me with this whole process. And, you know, DEQ is not a – DEQ does not have an enforcement arm. And that's, that's one of the issues that, that, I'm, that I'm sure that we'll, we'll talk about is, you know, DEQ can set permits. They can set regulations. They can approve. They can deny permits. But, it, but as you're pointing out right now, and as they have done multiple times, they've gone over their permits. They've gone over the allowable amount of pollution that they have been legally rec- obligated to do by the state, and nothing has happened. They've been allowed to continue to operate. You know, the Cape Fear uh, uh, barrier wall was about six months delayed before that was put in place. Right. No issues with that. Um, this is unfortunately when you've got a government entity that d- can't enforce anything. You're right. They do. I'm sure that's exactly what they did was laugh at it because what was going to happen to them? Right. But let me tell you who did have the authority to shut them down. And that was Governor Cooper. And I'm going to tell you about that in just a minute. But they they were allowed to really police themselves. I think that's a really good strategy. Don't you, Nick? Sure. That they can just police themselves. I think 
all corporations should be able to just, uh, you know, police themselves. And, and the really, it's funny, but it's maddening, is their good neighbor campaign. Their good neighbor campaign, that they're such a great neighbor. They have a lot of money, so they're able to put a lot of money into marketing. But, you know, if I had a neighbor like that, I'd move as far away from them as I possibly could. But um, I've heard certain people in certain groups say, oh, you know, we just needed to put more money into the DEQ. But here is the problem. That was Cooper's solution. We're going to put more money into the DEQ. Would you put more money? That's kind of the government answer. Would you put more money into people who ignored the problem, who didn't have the expertise to solve? They didn't, they didn't, they couldn't even find the PFAS for a long time, and they couldn't differentiate between one to the, to the other. Would you keep putting money into that? And that was that was the answer. They did get, uh, Camorra's did, in 2018, did get a $12 million fine. But that's a slap. All of this stuff is a, is a slap on the wrist to Camorra's. This is a company in 2018 that made $6.6 billion. I mean, that's a B, billion dollars. Do you think uh, $12 million is anything? And then on top of that, we were like the CFPUA had to spend $180 million on those activated charcoal filters, and that came back to us. And that makes me mad. I, I am so mad about this situation, and I'm mad about the fact that they have never been held accountable. But let me tell you, there is somebody who has held yeah. There's several people that let's, have. Let, let's, talk about the, let's talk about those folks uh, coming up. Lindy Ford joins us this morning. She is the development director over at Tide Turners, North Carolina. We'll uh, talk about uh, who actually was leading the charge on getting these companies held accountable coming up after this. You're listening to Wilmington's Morning News with Nick Craig on 107.9 and 980 The Wave. Welcome back to Wilmington's Morning News. 910-763-4000 is our studio hotline. We're joined by the development director over at Tide Turners NC this morning, Lindy Ford, talking about PFAS Gen X uh, contamination in the water and the, the true heroes and the true the tr- individuals that have truly been leading the charge against these uh, corporate polluters. Uh, Lindy, as we were talking before the break, you said there are a couple of people that may have not necessarily gotten the credit they deserve on all of this. Right. So after we took that deep dive into this, there are several names that, two names actually, that just kept coming out. And one of them was Representative Ted Davis. And I want to tell you, Nick, that in 2017, he sent this amazing letter. I've actually seen the letter. I have a copy of it to Roy Cooper. And he said, I respectfully ask that you have DEQ revoke Camor's permit and shut them down until they can absolutely guarantee that they can operate without endangering the quality of our drinking water. That was also reiterated in the Water Safety Act of 2018. It gave, it gave Roy Cooper the authority. And what was his response? Give more money to DEQ. And, and also, I thought it was funny because uh, Representative Davis told me that he actually told um, DEQ, what does Camorras have to do before you shut them down? And DEQ does have the authority to do that. Um, the Riverkeeper of Cape Watch, River Watch, even said the, the same thing in the same year. He said the DEQ has the authority right now today, right this second, to stop Camorras from discharge, discharging this stuff. Not only do they have the authority, but they have the obligation to stop it according to the law. So that 
to me was huge. And why are we not here? I don't know many people who know that, that, that he had the authority in 2017 to shut it down and to protect us. But then there's a second, there's a second issue here. So we need to talk about remediation. It's already here. It's been here for 40 years, Nick. It's, it's not going away unless we do something about it. And so we, so another hero of water emerged and that's Senator Michael Lee. He sponsored the 2016 Water Safety Act, and he fully funded in this act, this um, this bill, fully funded something called the NC Collaboratory. What the NC Collaboratory is, it's a PFAS network of scientists from Duke, Chapel Hill, UNCW, NC State. These are the best of the best. They have the expertise not to just detect, but they can differentiate. They know how to get rid of this stuff. And, and this is the groundbreaking technology that we want people to understand, that this technology that they have developed over the last, like, five years actually are these novel sorbents. They're beaded media. What they do is they encapsulate and they capture the, the PFAS, and they're able to be safely discarded. Now, this is brand new. Not only have they developed a way to get rid of the PFAS in our environment, water and air, they can now, I don't know if anybody knows this, but they can now be broken down into components and they're not forever chemicals anymore. That's huge. That's new. Um, you know, Dr. Lee Ferguson, from uh, he's an environmental chemist from Duke. He said this is the most sophisticated and comprehensive emerging pollutant monitoring system in the U.S. Now, what's so cool about it also, Nick, is that it's, um, the technology is licensed, so it can be used around the world, and any money that uh, is invested in this will come back to the state. How often does government make us money? How <laughs> often does that happen? No, not very That's- often. Unfortunately. But I really, I need your listeners to do two things. I have some two call to actions, okay? So first of all, we have um, House Bill 864. And we, we have to continue to be vigilant with this because they will continue to pollute. As you know, Nick, you and I are very frustrated about this. But there's, uh, there's a bill called uh, uh, House Bill 864. It's the PFAS Pollution and Polluter Liability Bill. Again, it is um, it's sponsored by uh, Ted Davis, um, Frank Eiler, Mr. Eiler, right, Frank Eiler, and also um, our own Charlie Miller is one of the co-sponsors of this. Contact your representative because that's going to going to come up for a vote in 2024. We need that bill to go through, and we need it to become law because it can't keep happening. This just cannot keep happening. The second thing, and, and also I just wanted to say I really appreciate our county commissioners for filing a lawsuit against the Morris. Any, any amount of heat on them is very, very helpful. And, you know, there are some organizations that are saying that this is, you know, these bills are bad for a bit. We're, we're, we're trying to, the bill is trying to make the manufacturer accountable, you know, not necessarily the people using it. They're, they don't, a lot of them don't know any better. So we, we need to go to the manufacturer who continue to pollute our water ways and to make it unsafe for us in this region. But the other thing I really want you to do is to go on YouTube um, on Tide Turners NC, T-I-D-E-T-U-R-N-E-R-S, Tide Turners NC, and to look at that video because it's done in a more engaging way. Which we, it's like a micro-learning video. It's 
PragerU style. It, we don't like boring. So it, there's a lot of graphics included in it. And to watch the video, because there's so much more that I can't even talk to you about today that are, that's in that video. It's only 10 minutes long, but we'd love for you to do that and follow us on social media. And then we also have a website, TideTurnersNC.com. Lindy Ford joins us this morning. She is the development director, <clears throat> excuse me, over at uh, Ty Turner's NC as we uh, wrap up the conversation this morning, Lindy. And I mean, you hear the groups that are always in the public are groups like Cape Fear River Watch and, and the likes. Um, and of course, uh, you know, we know their political lean and their bend, and there's just no chance that they'll ever give individuals like Representative Ted Davis no. and State Senator Michael Lee credit for the work that they've done. Absolutely not. And that's why this is important. And that's why when you watch a video, please share it with someone. I I just want to get the word out there um, that we need to recognize the real heroes of water. And just just on the note of bad for business, it is good for business. I would not want to, to move into a region that had this kind of pollution problem. In fact, I would have thought twice if I had known about it, even moving here. So this is huge. It's not bad for business. This is good for business to hold Camores accountable. Lindy Ford, our guest here this morning. You can uh, view the video that we're talking about and read some more in-depth about it by visiting TideTurnersNC.com. Lindy, thank you so much for the time this morning. A great insight. Let's do it again soon. Okay, thank you, Nick. Absolutely, my pleasure. Lindy Ford, TideTurnersNC.com is their website. And, you know, when we do talk about contaminants in the water we know PFAS and Gen X and who is bearing the brunt of that responsibility right now well it's you and I if you're a, a rate payer in CFPUA New Hanover County you're paying for it if you're a rate payer over in Brunswick County with H2GO and one or the Brunswick County Public uh, Sewer Authority you're paying it over there as well right, we're bearing the responsibility for this now have you looked at a CFPUA bill recently? It's outrageous. That's not a dig on CFPUA. It's not their fault. Their option was invest hundreds of millions of dollars into granular activated carbon in reverse osmosis systems or continue delivering contaminated water. Now, they, we know that they have filed lawsuits. We know that the county has filed lawsuits. DEQ has filed lawsuits. Lawsuits galore. Unfortunately, the slow wheels of justice in regards to these kind of legal battles doesn't help us immediately, doesn't help us right now. So thanks to some of the, you know, the water utilities that have gone out and, and made these massive, uh, innovative investments into getting clean water delivered to folks here in southeastern North Carolina. We'll grab a quick commercial break, catch up with our friend Donna King from the Carolina Journal right after this. You're listening to Wilmington's Morning News. Are you ready for hard-hitting observations? She is the least credible person I may have ever seen on camera. The Ben Shapiro Show brings you all the news you need to know in America today. Guys, not everything is 40 chess. Why can't we just laugh? Ben breaks down the culture and never gives an inch. We all know I'm the number one rapper in the world thanks to Facts by Tom McDonald. The Ben Shapiro Show on YouTube or wherever you listen. everybody wake up and pay attention. What a great show. This is a great show. Wilmington's Morning News with Nick Cray, 107.9.
and 980 The Wave. Welcome back to Wilmington's Morning News. It's great to have you here this morning. 910-763-4000 is our studio hotline. Well, always our favorite time of the week when we get an update on all of the things ongoing up at our state capitol. I'd like to welcome back to our airwaves Donna King from the Carolina Journal. Donna, good morning to you. Hope all is well. Some uh, big news out of the General Assembly. Obviously, they're not in session right now, but some talks about the border all the way here in North Carolina? Uh, yes, actually, which is interesting. They've been, uh, the, so all 72 Republicans sent a letter to uh, Governor Cooper saying, look, if you don't, you know, do something to keep North Carolinians safe here amid a border crisis in Texas, uh, we're going to take action on our own. So there's a letter that's actually been circulating in other areas, but one of the things that they're saying is that Cooper should halt any discretionary cooperation with the federal government to place illegal migrants in North Carolina. Now, among those, we have the um, uh, former Hebrew school in Greensboro that is was renovated, and there's a contract signed to bring unaccompanied minors there to Greensboro. But there's other you know, programs like that. So they're asking Cooper to stop any kind of cooperation with the federal government for those things and also sign legislation um, that requires local law enforcement to, to cooperate with ICE. Uh, immigration customs enforcement um, to remove illegal immigrants who are committing crimes in North Carolina. They're also asking the governor to deploy additional guard, National Guard uh, to Texas to help with uh, help Texas at the border. So there's already some National Guard, North Carolina National Guard there as well, but they're saying we need to help further. Um, so they're really asking for, for Governor Cooper to step up and, and take action to keep North Carolinians safe, because now they're saying that this, you know, when folks come across the border, they're not staying in Texas. They're going everywhere, and that makes every state impacted by the border crisis. Now, Donna, I also want a million dollars. I don't think that's going to happen. I'm not sure that go- – <laughs> I mean, realistically, Governor Roy Cooper probably sees this letter come across his desk and throws it straight into the paper shredder, right? I mean, he's not going to stop doing anything, or he's not sure. – I don't foresee him doing anything as to what they're asking. I mean, probably not those specific things. I was, did think it was interesting that he uh, made a public statement um, to CBS 17 here in Raleigh uh, saying that he actually supports what Governor Abbott was trying to do there at the border, that really? it was his responsibility as governor to do it. So, you know, we may see, he may surprise us. Who knows? I, I don't know for sure. I was surprised by that statement. Um, and, you know, he may you know, feel some compassion for Governor Abbott being at the, you know, being at the helm there um, on the border. Uh, so, but I don't expect him to re- sign legislation requiring uh, local law enforcement to cooperate with ICE because he vetoed legislation to that effect uh, some time ago and uh, has been hesitant to get involved with areas that call them consider themselves sanctuary cities. Um, so, uh, you know that that's breaking with the party line for the Democrats if he were to do that, and that would be unusual. But that said, um, you know he may. He, he's he got 72 Republicans. You have the supermajority of the House um, urging this action. So, you know, he, he's got to take the letter. Right. And he's got to, you know, maybe that conversation will start because they're saying that really unchecked. This is a crisis that's affecting everybody. And when you look at things like fentanyl, 11,000 North Carolinians died last year from fentanyl poisoning. And it is happening everywhere. I have college age and teenage kids. Folks are seeing this happen because one pill really can kill. Um, that the fentanyl crisis is now killing more people than the, you know, crack and cocaine epidemic did in the 80s and the 90s. So this is a major crisis, and it's something that is a public health crisis. 
I want to go back to the summer of uh, this past year. You were actually at the border, I and mean, I know we talked about it at the time. Would you yeah. just kind of recap that situation for folks that are uh, joining us here this morning? Sure. Yeah, I, I actually was part of a group of media members and uh, some activists that went down with Americans for Prosperity in North Carolina. Uh, went to Texas, and we went to McCaddenville, um, and we saw firsthand what was happening there at the border. And at the time, there was no razor wire or anything like that, like what's seeing in Eagle Pass. Um, But we could see across the river and see, you know, uh, coyotes and and, uh, cartel members watching us from a distance waiting for us to leave, because that's how they were getting across, was they would just wait for the the Border Patrol to become overwhelmed. You know, folks would show up in their trucks, they would bring them back from processing, and then by the time they went back, uh, more had moved. So the the operation there is overwhelming for Border Patrol. They are in a position that they just can't handle. They don't have the resources to do it. And the um, one of the things that we saw was um, these non-governmental organizations were there um, to help, but also they're really facilitating the problem because they're providing a safe landing when they get here, but it has become almost like a DMV-level efficiency to bring people in illegally and put them on a bus and get them out into other parts of the country. And that's really what North Carolina Republicans are talking about. Like, they're not staying in Texas. They're they're getting put on buses, put on planes, and moved to other areas, including North Carolina. And in some cases, you know, these, some of these are violent criminals. And not all, certainly not all. But we are having an increased uh, impact in North Carolina of, of course, drug trafficking and human trafficking and violence and all of these other things. And they're calling on the governor to step up and secure North Carolina and protect the safety of those living here. Donna King, CarolinaJournal.com. She joins us here uh, this morning. You know, and Donna, I struggle with this personally, right? When you talk about these NGO groups and what they're doing, we are a compassionate society. We are a compassionate people. We want to help. That's all that. That's all we do. I mean, you when you pay your uh, illustrious IRS tax bill in April, that's all you're doing is is helping people that are disadvantaged. However, at the same right. time, you are essentially waving the green flag for people to do whatever the hell they want, come into the country illegally. That, to me, we're now past the bounds of, of compassion. We're talking about uh, essentially uh, just giving a green flag for this stuff. That, I struggle with it. I struggle with it, too, because it is difficult to watch. When we were down there in person um, watching young families um, and uh, and it was primarily um, uh, young men uh, that were there, but a lot of them did have children with them. And it is, you know, what have, what have these children already seen? And giving them a safe landing and a place to sleep that night, you know, that is important. We are com- we are compassionate. That's what we do, um, and that's why they're coming. And that's then that's the thing, right? You're creating a situation where it is very easy. It's encouraging, and without some sort of uh, mechanism in place without some sort of law enforcement to close the border and come up with some uh, process that can be applied and 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 achieve legal immigration from where they are, that process doesn't exist. What we're seeing really is not even chaos at the border. What we're really seeing is is a an efficient way to bring people in illegally. I was really surprised to see how that system was operating. Obviously, we're talking about North Carolina this morning, but uh, I do have to ask, and you know, we do have to kind of make this a little bit of a broader conversation. You, you mentioned Governor Roy Cooper's comments about this in support of, of Greg Abbott. 
Don, it seems to me over the next uh, eight, ten months as we approach the election that we are go. That there's likely going to be a big divide here in the Democrat Party over how this is handled. I think so, too. And I think that um, uh, the Biden administration and probably Democrats in general underestimated concern about the border among rank and file voters. You know, not that these are not far right. These are not only Republicans. People are concerned because it's impacting their communities and their families and their children. Um, so I do think you're suddenly starting to see some light um, maybe coming from the White House where they're starting to admit that there is a problem uh, at the border, but it's too late. You know, I think that message did not get at, get through and they're not taking action. Um, so I do think we're going to see this as a big issue in 2024. I had a I have been looking at using this poll the last couple of weeks. It's a Harvard Harris poll that was released a couple of weeks ago, and it asked it was a general election poll, and it asked you know what are you that what are the, what is your top issue? And the top issue, 35 percent of respondents, Donna said immigration. That was above inflation right. in the economy, which was at 32 percent. That's staggering. Right. It is. It is. Um, and I do think that that is uh, that's not a surprise to me. Um, but I do think it will come as a surprise to probably a lot of uh, Democrats uh, who say that um, that it was not an issue, that it is not a crisis, that when, that the real crisis was Medicaid expansion or the real crisis was, you know, pick something you know, that's on on their agenda. But um, the border is really going to get people um uh, concerned and and I think it'll get them to the polls because there's nothing closer than what's happening in your community and people are seeing it they know it they know it they know it's a problem yeah I mean you go up and look at New York City it was just last week that you had students that were forced out of their school so because it was turned into a warming shelter for illegal immigrants you're I mean Donna you're a tax paying resident in New York City and your kids getting kicked out of school to to put a bunch of migrants in the gym to keep them warm. I mean, again, compassion, but mm-hmm. at the same time, I, I mean, that's just utterly ridiculous. Right, right. That's exactly right. And actually, I'm going to go back and correct something I said earlier. Uh, governor Cooper actually did not back um, uh, Greg Abbott. He was the only governor in the Southeast that didn't. Um, he said he spoke spoke to CBS 17 for the first time on this issue, and um, he's, he criticizes, he's criticizing Donald Trump um, <laughs> because he was pushing for a tough border law. Um, so he said uh, uh, he is not backing Abbott in this, and he's criticizing the Senate um, for trying to impose, trying to pass a strong border security law. Well, that sounds more like the uh, Roy Cooper that we've known to uh, come and yeah. live here across <laughs> North Carolina. Donna King with the Carolina Journal is our guest here this morning. We'll grab a quick commercial break and turn our discussion over to Durham. A fifth of public schools in Durham were closed yesterday due to teachers and staff walking out to attend a protest. We'll get to those details coming up here in just a few minutes. I want to tell you, uh, obviously, we know how stressful an electrical issue at your home can be. Nobody wants to deal with that and when that does happen because it will there's only one place to call that's america's on-time electricians mr sparky of wilmington whether that issue is at your home or your business that's who you need to call mr sparky offers a 100 satisfaction guarantee and they are available nights and weekends that's 24 7 no matter when that issue arises whether you're dealing with an emergency electrical repair or 
or maybe just planning on installing some new wiring in your home, Mr. Sparky is here to help. Electrical panel upgrades, hot tub wiring, generator installation, something even as simple as smoke detector replacement or installation. No job is too big or too small for Mr. Sparky. Call Mr. Sparky of Wilmington at 910-319-1477 or visit them online at sparkywilmington.com. That's Mr. Sparky of Wilmington, 910-319-1477 or sparkywilmington.com. Donna King, the editor-in-chief over at carolinajournal.com is our guest here this morning as we talk about some uh, statewide news. Uh, Donna, some uh, big developments out of uh, Durham. We know there were some issues in weeks and months past with some salary increases that are no more and uh, some big news yesterday a fifth of their public schools closed why yes uh, so it's basically a call out um, you know teachers calling out sick and calling uh, that they weren't coming in it was a, 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 a kind of kind of like a strike but basically they said that they weren't coming 12 schools had to close which as you said is a fifth of the schools in Durham County and this is over the um, the Durham Association of Educators uh, put out a message on social media around 8 o'clock that enough staff would be out from 12 schools that they're going to be forced to close. So Durham Association of Educators, I think, being very clear that they were the ones um, organizing that. Um, and it's important to note that th- that a strike is prohibited in state law. It's a Class 1 misdemeanor if a public employee violates that strike uh, prohibition. So it's it's interesting to me, one, first, that this, that this union is going to say, okay, we're organizing it because – it's illegal. They're public employees. <laughs> and will they bear any of the costs? Right. So are the, all those all those teachers now having to pay their sub so that this union can say we organized a strike? Um, I'm not really sure who is um, liable for the costs incurred, whether that's, you know, what happened with buses, whether families had to, you know, figure out child care arrangements, uh, teachers had to pay their subs. We're, who's going to bear the cost of that um, of those schools having to close for the day. We know families are going to have to because some of them now had to call out sick or had to use a vacation day because their kids kids weren't in school. So in the end, it is concerning to me that, you know, the down downstream effects of something like this was not really thought through by the Association of Educators. The whole situation is pretty crappy. I mean, here the, Durham had a huge accounting error. They told a non um, non teacher uh, employees, a classified staff, they gave them a pay increase back in October of last year. They could obviously are not able of uh, c- capable of managing their money correctly. So they decided earlier this year, whoops, we could not afford this, and those uh, salary increases are going away starting this month. Um, it's a miserable situation for everybody involved, Donna, but. I just kind of struggle with this idea. You know, I read some of the quotes in the article over at the News and Observer, and it's the same thing. You know, we care about education. We care about our children. We care about education, yet we're shutting down the schools. I just, I don't know how those two things can exist at the same time. Sure, sure. I mean, you know, I mean, public employees certainly can organize and they can join associations just like everybody else. But when you're a public employee, a strike is illegal. It's against public policy of the state of North Carolina and organizing it will likely have some liability issues. Uh, so it is something to keep in mind because I'm not positive that some of these um, these public employees, these teachers understand uh, that it is a misdemeanor to do this as a public employee and, and who will bear the cost. No question about it. Donna King, carolinajournal.com is our guest this morning. What else are we uh, tracking in North Carolina this morning? 
Yeah, sure. Actually, um, one of the interesting things that I think happened yesterday is we have uh, former North Carolina Supreme Court Justice Bob Orr filed a lawsuit yesterday um, saying that elections must be fair. And I put that in quotes because that's in his in his uh, in his filing. Um, he's representing or is a um, well, self-proclaimed um, Republican, and he is representing nine Democrats, two unaffiliated, who are challenging the state's election maps. They're really targeting um, uh, the new congressional districts, 6, 13, and 14, but then also a state Senate district and a, and a state House district. Um, this may, I don't know if you remember this, if you're a big social media person, you might remember that um, Justice Orr accidentally tweeted out a request he intended to be a private message. Um, to a Republican asking a Republican to join this lawsuit. And it went, he accidentally put it on the public channels. Whoops. Um, it was taken down quickly, but lots of media caught it. Um, so he was out trying to drum up support among Republicans, apparently never found one because this is all Democrats that are on this, Democrats and unaffiliated uh, voters in this lawsuit. Um, Chief Justice Newby has assigned it to a three judge panel. I don't anticipate this having any impact on the 2024 elections, but this is something you know that he's trying to do. Um, we're, the, we're it's just this more you know lawsuit driven effort to change policy, and that's one thing he's saying that um, that the that districts are that Republicans have their thumb on the scale of all the elections through map drawing, and we've been talking about this for years. Um, the, the process this time has had not as much legal wrangling as it did the last time. Um, so I, I anticipate that both the March primary and the November election uh, will not be impacted by it. Yeah, this is one of just uh, many legal battles as uh, you know, Democrats, including uh, Judge Orr, who, as you noted, a, self a self-claimed Republican, uh, sued till blue and can't win statewide elections. So let's just muck everything up in the courts. A, uh, unfortunately, it has become uh, seemingly the norm here in North Carolina now, Donna, you lose an election, you don't like the maps that are required to be drawn constitutionally by the General Assembly, so you just file frivolous mm -hmm. lawsuits and hope you get in front of a good judge, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's not happening just here. It's happening across the country. This is a national effort by the um, National Redistricting Committee, which was started by Eric Holder under the Obama administration. Um, so this is a nationwide effort. North Carolina is just one of the states going through it. Um, but you're right. I mean, it is it's happening. Uh, it's it's really is shifting it. Remember, in 2010, Republicans took control of the General Assembly for the first time in a century on maps drawn by Democrats. So it's not unheard of to win on a map drawn by the opposite party it happens all the time. Context is important. Donna, where do folks find some of the stories we're talking about this morning? Yes, carolinajournal.com. Head on over there. We've got uh, details on that lawsuit and a lot of other good stories. Donna, thank you so much. Appreciate the time as always. We'll chat next week. Good to talk to you. Likewise. Donna King, editor-in-chief over at carolinajournal.com as we do our uh, weekly rundown of some of the uh, statewide political ongoings here in North Carolina. We're going to have a quick commercial break here at the uh, bottom of the hour. We'll take a look at some more news across the state and region as well. You're listening to Wilmington's Morning News with Nick Craig. All right. Eight. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Let's get into season four, episode three, Facade. People get picked on. I got picked on. But Scabby Abby, Scabby at the whole school. Yeah, just I hurt me. I felt like it wasn't real. If I may, I want to defend the storytellers. The people who created the show wanted you to feel like these people were the worst people ever. They pretty much said the whole school of Smallville High are bad people. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen. 
836. Welcome back to Wilmington's Morning News. Uh, open phone lines in the final half hour this morning at 910-763-4000. Taking a quick look at it, the uh, traffic here this morning, day three of uh, the two eastbound lanes of the Cape Fear Memorial Bridge being closed. And yes, of course, uh, still dealing with some heavy traffic on 74 up towards 421, both north and south. Seeing some slowdowns on uh, Castle Hayne Road as folks are taking I-1 40 and also some slowdowns on North College Road as you head towards the Kings Grant areas. Folks use some alternative routes to get into the city of Wilmington and to parts of New Hanover County. We'll take another look at your traffic coming up here in about uh, 10 minutes this morning. 910-763-4000 is our phone number. Terry's hanging on the line in Wilmington this morning. Terry, you're up. What's going on? Oh, I'm just, uh, like I said, I haven't, I've been out of town for a little while and I've been hearing about these 100% rate increases in homeowners insurance. Oh, yeah. Uh, is this for uh, homeowners and wind and hail? So, no, uh, it is. We're n- already paying nearly $3,000 a year for, for insurance. Yeah, this is not wind and hail, which uh, is something that I didn't realize was something I had to have prior to me purchasing a house back a few years ago. Getting that bill was uh, was pretty shocking. So this is what's going on, Terry. So there's this group known as the North Carolina Rate Bureau, and it's not a state affiliated or associated group. It's a conglomeration of insurance companies across the state. They act as like a, it's like one voice for all the insurance companies. What they did earlier this year, was, or late last year, was submit a rate increase to the North Carolina Insurance Commissioner. That's Mike Causey. And that uh-huh. triggered a process that by state law is required to play out. And as you noted, they are asking for some ridiculous increases, pretty much Anybody that lives in New Hanover or Brunswick or Pender County, you are looking at a proposed increase of somewhere in the ballpark of 71.4%. And if you live in uh, areas like Wrightsville, Carolina, Curie Beach, you are looking at a 99.4% increase. Everybody else is looking at about a 43% increase across the area. Um, And since they submitted that increase, which they can do by law, it's triggered a public hearing and a process um, that is now ongoing. Uh, that is ongoing right now. And I'll say this, uh, Terry. I don't know if you do. You listen to podcasts at all, Terry? Uh, every now and then. Right. Not, not, not a great deal. Well, then let me tell you this. Go back to Friday's podcast. We were up in Raleigh at the Carolina Liberty Conference. I sat down for thirty minutes with Insurance Commissioner Mike Causey, and he explained the entire process of where things are right now, what the process looks like in the future, and and how this whole thing is going to shake out over the next couple of months. I think I, he did he a great job. It? Can he stop Can he? it? Yes. I yeah. mean. So what's going to happen is the public comment period goes until tomorrow, February the 2nd. Once February the 2nd goes, uh, comes and goes, that's when the insurance commissioner can either accept the proposal or decline the proposal. And in all likelihood, he is going to decline that proposal. Then after be better. <laughs> yeah, well, so so he'll decline the proposal as it is right now. But from what I understand in the conversation with him, that will then trigger a legal challenge and which the rate bureau will go to court and they will mediate over what the rate increase will be. 
Many a times that is solved outside of court. That's what we saw back three years ago when the rate bureau asked for a ridiculously high increase. I believe he was able to negotiate it down to seven or eight percent, which is still an increase nevertheless, but they were asking for some astronomical figure. So we'll see that process roll out later this year. And these new insurance rates, well, they'll be effective August 1st. So there's going to be kind of a lag time and a little bit of a delay between now and probably mid to late spring. Um, but that that's where the process sits and stands right now. Yeah, because it's already hard enough to buy a house, and, and now they're making it impossible to keep it. You know, and Terry, uh, I'm glad you bring that up because all we do is constantly hear about affordable housing here in southeastern North Carolina, right? It's a massive buzzword. I can't afford to live. Yeah. I can't afford to live. Well, are you going to be able to afford a 74.2% increase on your homeowner's insurance? I sure as hell No, not. we're not. We're on fixed incomes, and we, we just don't have any cushion for that. No, the uh, current status of the economy, I'm sure, isn't helping with uh, the, the, the fixed income right. and not having the padding that you probably yeah. would want. Yeah, uh, so it's, it's, I, I just wonder, is this some effort to force us to sell our houses? <laughs> well, you know, you, you, you say that and you laugh, but up at the public comment last week up in Raleigh, there was an individual from Topsail, maybe, North Topsail, one of the beach communities to the north of Wilmington, and she made exactly that point. This is going to force me out of my house if you increase my insurance by 100%. And you can imagine, Terry, the folks living directly on the Atlantic Ocean, their insurance is probably yeah. exorbitant already. It's way more than ours is. Yes. Add 100% yeah. to that, and, and they're, they're done. Yeah, and so uh, I just hope Causey has has the guts to uh, uh, deny this thing, and then ever what quarter mediator uh, remember the people, <laughs> you know, just remember the people you're going to hurt with this thing. No question about it. I'd encourage you to go back and listen to Friday's podcast. He I was, will do. thank I you, Terry. Appreciate your call this morning. And it's a, it's a, it's a great point to bring up. It's one of the, one of the many stories I've got this, uh, I'm going to uh, pull back the curtain here for, for, for a minute. I've got this laundry list of topics that we regularly check in on or semi-regularly check in on. And this insurance story is one of them. There's just, you know, the, the interesting thing with, with stories like this, you get the initial news release. North Carolina Rate Bureau requesting a 72% increase here, a 74% increase there, a 99% increase here. You get a bunch of media coverage right away. Then the process starts. And it can be months, two, three months before you hear anything else about it. And the next time there's news on it, the one great thing is uh, is Mike Causey, he's been on the show a couple of times now, including last Friday. Um, He's committed to me off the air that any time that there's the next time that there's an update or there's any movement on this, he'll uh, join us back here on the air and explain exactly what's going on. It's not an immediate process. It's not something that's going to happen Public comment again closes tomorrow. It's not like we're going to see an update next week on it. Uh, But I would suspect as we head into the spring, mid to late spring, we'll probably get a better idea of how this process is going to uh, play out. So appreciate the call this morning, Terry. And for folks that did not catch that conversation on Friday, check out our Wilmington's Morning News podcast. It's available wherever you get your shows, iOS, the the, the iTunes uh, uh, podcast store, Google Play, Spotify, Pandora, anywhere you get your shows. Search for Wilmington's Morning News. Check out Friday's episode and uh, you can listen to my conversation uh, in person with insurance commissioner mike causey
Well, we, of course, are dealing with uh, some big-time congestion over at the bridge this morning. We'll get a look at traffic coming up here in just a few minutes. We did get an update yesterday at the WMPO meeting. Obviously, uh, the conversation yesterday mostly surrounded around funding, a potential funding platform and method for the bridge. However, we did get an update from Chad Kimes. He is the Division Three engineer. That's our NCDOT division. He talked about the work ongoing this week and some of the pa- uh, traffic patterns and changes that they're making to try and alleviate some of that stress. Uh, let's hear what's going on this week from Chad Kimes. Uh, there's, there's various operations going on this week. It's really prepping and getting ready for the demo that will start on Monday. Uh, keep in mind, this is a movable sand bridge. What a lot of folks don't understand, for if you put 10 pounds of weight on this bridge, you got to figure out how to offset it with counterweights to 10 pounds. The operational bridge works on counterweights. So there is a lot of engineering analysis that goes into the amount of weight coming in. That's the offset for this first floor. That's Chad Kimes uh, talking about how they're doing prep work next week, demolition of the eastbound lanes. That's going to include removing the steel riding deck that you actually drive your car on. They have to, of course, get that removed and out of the way. And then they will start the process of removing and replacing the stringers. Those are the uh, metal, I don't even know what you call them. Those are the, the, the underlying of the bridge deck that the bridge, sit, the, the deck that you drive on sits on top of. They'll be removing and replacing those stringers over the next two months or so. So that is what we learned from Chad Kimes in regards to that. Now, how about traffic? And yes, while we just noted things are a little hectic this morning, they're a lot better than they were even on Tuesday. And uh, Chad Kimes talked a little bit about the ongoing process of traffic mediation. Uh, I will let you know that, you know, we were every angle uh, during this closing yesterday. Um, just tremendous efforts. And this is where I'm going to commend New York County, Brunswick County, uh, the various cities such as Wellington, uh, whether it's Leland, Belleville. What a massive effort and undertaking this was. Yeah. And today we saw really paying off. Yesterday we saw what the traffic was going to do. And then we reacted overnight, and then we had a much better day today. Uh, we are going to continue to make improvements as this go along. This is a work in progress. Drivers will shift, and we will shift. Uh, we will monitor this, and we'll continue to have the drones up there, but we'll continue to make improvements. We also learned that there was a uh, there is a 24-hour operations center that is in Raleigh. That's It's called the... DOT operation center, something like that, in which they are keeping an eye on that traffic pattern um, and keeping a look. And they've got the drones up in the air looking at the various uh, paths and, and what the congestion is looking like. We've heard in the last couple of days more signage, uh, the changing of signal timing so that lights are green for longer periods of time to let more cars flow through. There's a lot of moving parts here. As Chad Kimes noted, it's a work in progress. And I'd say in just the last two days, just looking at the traffic maps here this morning. While, yes, it is still busy, yes, there is still bumper-to-bumper traffic, the congestion is far less than it has been in prior days, and the congestion is clearing up quicker than we've seen as well. So we'll grab a quick commercial break here at 848. We'll get a a final look at your traffic coming up, plus a look at your uh, Thursday and early weekend forecast as well. 
844-646-3000 is our phone number. More Wilmington's Morning News with Nick Craig right after this. 852, welcome back to a Thursday edition of Wilmington's Morning News. Great to have you here. 910-763-4000 is our phone number. 35 degrees out at the airport right now. Temperatures will be hanging out in the lower 60s for your day today. Dry and clear Ahead of a warm-up tomorrow, mid and upper 60s dry. Temperatures for this weekend will be in the middle and upper 50s. Uh, dry on Saturday, a slight chance of some rain showers on Sunday. So not all in all a, a bad early February weekend here across southeastern North Carolina. Let's jump on uh, back to our phones this morning. The lovable liberal is hanging on. Okay, have a, get us. Hanging on, and you're going to probably agree with me on this call. All right, if you I, say um, so. I listened to your last caller, and I have to tell you that one of the things that annoys me, he was talking about the fear that all homeowners have on this proposed insurance increase. I've been here since 06. It bothers me how they target the coast of the state. Every storm that I've lived through since 06, the worst hit areas were always inland. If you go back to Florence, our friends that evacuated to the western side of the state, their big problem was they couldn't get back here because the center part of the state, the low-lying rural areas, were flooded. And yet we on the coast are the ones that are given the big bill, while the rest of the state, their proposed increase, I think, is only 45 percent. It's unfair. You know, it, it doesn't make any sense why we are targeted when the real damage is not on the coast. It's in the inland areas. You know, it's pretty amazing because when you do look at a storm, and obviously Florence very much an, an outlier storm, but even more of a, a moderate tropical storm, it's amazing how quickly we recover here on the coast, especially from a water element, because, well, there's a gazillion places for the water to go. It can just run back out to the Atlantic Ocean, and you're absolutely correct. You get into the Piedmont region of the state, the central part of the state, they get 12, 15, 20 inches of rain from a tropical storm, and all hell breaks loose because there is nowhere for the water to go the streams and the rivers get immediately backed up the only so much water can flow through those at a time and those are some of the areas that absolutely correct have the worst impacts from some of these tropical storms now you get a big boy that slams to the coast obviously you see your immediate devastation in the coastal areas uh, but for folks in more of the central parts of new hanover and brunswick county we don't see that all that often that's not a very common thing yeah, it's not. Certainly, storm surge is a, is a reality for those who are directly on the coast. Sure, but for the rest of us, it's not. And and yet we are we are proposed to pay seventy some percent where I live. And yet, when you go to the to the rural areas that that tend to have the most damage, it's forty five percent. It doesn't make any sense. And I think this is where somebody on the right and somebody on the left can come together and say, "We're getting screwed here on the coast, and it's unfair." Yeah, and you, know, you add on top of it the fact that you're required to ca- uh, carry wind and hail on your, your home, which can be thousands of dollars a year. I mean, I think my wind mm-hmm. and hail is like three times the cost, maybe even four times the cost of my general homeowner's insurance. Uh, it, the bills definitely add up, but I guess the, the retort to that is, well, you're living on the beach, you're living on the coast. I guess that's uh, just part of the gig, whether we like it or not. The insurance companies are going to target us. Uh, you know, they've seen, you see the uh, devastation for some of the storms down in Florida this past year. And um, these insurance companies, of course, they're not in the business of losing money either. And uh, they're going to put the, unfortunately, tighten the bolts and put the burden on us. It, it sucks. It's kind, of, it's kind of a terrible situation. Well, I agree, which I never thought I'd say, but how, 
Have a good day. Thanks. And thank you for your time. Absolutely. Appreciate your call this morning. Great points at 910-763-4000. Look at that, ladies and gentlemen. Look at this. A conversation with the lovable liberal and some agreement. Wow. (laughs) Here on the 1st of February, maybe uh, everything is new. All of our societal problems are solved. Is that a prerequisite for Groundhog's Day tomorrow? Hmm, I don't know. Taking a look at some uh, other local news this morning. It was a, a busy scene on Market Street last night near the intersection of Gordon Road as multiple fire companies responded to a massive fire. According to WFD, the fire department, officials were on the scene around 5.30 p.m. last night as crews were battling a blaze at several storage facilities near a marine-related business right there near Station Road, if you're uh, where the DMV is, if you're heading up Market Street towards the Ogden area, there's a couple of storage facilities on the right hand side near the DMV. And according to fire officials, they were on the scene there around 5:30 yesterday uh, p.m. to start putting that fire out. They didn't get the fire out of control and under uh, wraps until close to 8:45. And WFD was not fighting this alone. They had the New Hanover County Fire Rescue there, WPD, Duke Energy, and the Wrightsville Beach Fire Rescue was also on scene for that fire. Fortunately, no one was injured. As a re- uh, There was no injuries reported with the fire, which is good. Um, they do say that there was obviously significant damage. Don't know about the cause or what may have uh, in any sort of other situations. We just know that uh, the crews were on scene for many hours last night fighting this blaze on Market Street uh, near Station Road near the uh, DMV there on uh, here in Midtown Wilmington. So uh, that is one of the things that we are tracking this morning. Well, as uh, we turn to the uh, conversation and what kind of what we're expecting coming up tomorrow morning, we're seeing continued uh, escalation ongoing in the Middle East. The United States uh, yesterday striking some more Iranian-backed terror groups that are wreaking absolute hell across the Middle East. If it's not uh, unmanned drone strikes that's killing U.S. service members, we reported that earlier this week. You've got continued escalation in the Red Sea, the Gulf of Aden, where individuals, or not individuals, but major shipping companies are now having to find alternative routes. We've learned that insurance companies that are contracted by these container uh, ships, these shipping companies, are now dropping coverage and saying, hey, if you go through this area, sorry, but we're not going to be able to insure you as the Houthi-backed rebel group based in Yemen. It's another Iranian-backed terror group continues to go after shipping channels, go after cargo ships that are working their way through parts of the Red Sea. So we'll follow that. Up in Washington, D.C., the battle is on over the border. We're seeing a lot of conversation on both sides of the aisle about this. Uh, Lawmakers on the uh, Democrat side of the aisle, well, they're having to kind of uh, reap what they've sown here. They've allowed the border to get completely out of control. And at this point in time, well, uh, I don't know that there's enough time to turn that ship around and get this thing under control before the November election. Those are some of the things that we'll be tracking tomorrow morning, 6 to 9 a.m. on Wilmington's Morning News. 
Movies, TV shows, books, podcasts, and more. It's what women binge with Melissa Joan Hart and her friend Amanda Lee. Scott Grimes is here Thank with you. us. Voiceover, that is like my dream job. I think I just have too distinctive a voice and I can't manipulate it. That's why I'm right. not a good singer. This is how great Seth MacFarlane is. I went in to do it and I was talking like this and he goes, good, now just get rid of the neck thing that you just did because it's one, it's ugly. And then I just came out like this and came up with this guy named Steve Smith who has a tiny little lisp, but so does Scott Grimes, so it's perfect. What Women Binge, wherever you listen.